All right. Uh, did y'all did y'all bring a pen and a paper with you? All right, we're gonna have a quiz. Open up your quiz. I mean, you're all students, right? You're used to taking quizzes. Let's open up your um, get your paper and pencil out. We're gonna have a quiz, a life quiz. This is a life quiz. All right. Okay. This one. These are. This is a simple test. True or false answers. That's all it is. True or false answers. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get graded on it. <clears throat> okay, number one. Okay, I need it quiet. This is a test. No talking to your neighbors. I'm a tough teacher. Question number one. Your father has a brain tumor. <clears throat> and it appears to be inoperable. Before he has the surgery, it would be wise, this is true or false, it would be wise to check with other health professionals to see who the best brain surgeon is in the area and what his or her success rate is. True or false? Just write it down. Question number two. You're about to select a postgraduate degree, institution. Your future... Your income and your job depend on making the right choice. True or false? It would be wise for you to counsel with others in your own field and who have in the same profession as and with your faculty advisors as to which university you should choose. True or false? Question number three. You're about to invest in a new home. It would be wise to counsel with a realtor and your banker to get the best interest rate. You know, a half a percent can mean a lot over the period of a loan. True. This thing's dying. It keeps going down. There. It would be good to check with your investment banker and your realtor to get the best rate and to buy in the best neighborhood. True or false? Question number four. You're successful in your career. You want to start buying stocks and build a portfolio. It's important to counsel with your investment banker, listen to the street on the radio, and, other, and, and, and counsel with other investors to get the best rate and build your portfolio in the best way possible. True or false? That's good. Wonderful. Okay. Ooh, that's a good one. You don't know how this bothers me to have a cord hanging out like this. But that's the way it has to be. Question number five. You have children. And you want to start up a retirement account and a college education account. True or false, it's wise to counsel with another investment counselor and a retirement advisor to ensure that you will choose the best rate of return on your investment and diversify properly. True or false? Question number six. You're about to choose your life mate. You can wing this one on your own. <laughs> True or false? 
How many of you answered true to numbers 1 through 5? How many of you didn't take the quiz? How many answered true on 1 to 5? All right, you're smart people. How many of you answered false on number 6? You're a fool. You're a fool. I, I, I remember what... How many of you know Dr. Brunel Baldwin? Dr. Brunel Baldwin at Wildwood. He used to be a teacher down here at Loma Linda. And uh, Dr. Hans Deal is a friend of mine. And Dr. Deal said when he was in his um, Doctor of Public Health, Dr. Baldwin was teaching a class one day. And he, he was talking to just all guys in his class. And he, in the way that only Dr. Baldwin can do it. I mean, if you know this man, he's incredible. He said, gentlemen, when you choose a wife... Let me give you some counsel. He said, don't look at the fenders. Check the engine. <laughs> Good advice. Good advice. We want to talk today. Many of you in here are facing that time in your life when you are facing the decision of choosing who you will share your life with. But those of you who are married, don't, don't run away because we're going to make this appropriate for you too. Why is it that on this most important decision, society tells us you make up your own mind? Why is it that so few young people seek the counsel and advice of their godly parents? Listen, young people. I want to I I level the playing field right now, right from the very beginning, okay? I have something that you don't have. I have gray hair. I've been your age, but you haven't been my age yet. And the Bible says that a hoary head, this is a hoary head, what I got here, this gray hair, comes from raising two children. A hoary head is a crown of honor, if it be found in the way of righteousness. Why is it that so many young people today make the most important decision of their life based on looks and feelings and not on intuition and spirituality and godly counsel? I want to look at why the marriage relationship is so important to God. Marriage is important to God. I've got to get this little thing out here because I can talk for a long time. <clears throat> marriage is important to God. Why did God give marriage to the human race? So far as we know, Ellen White says that when God made the human race, He made a distinct order of creation. We may be, we don't know, but it seems to be when we look at counsel that we are the only race in the universe, the only creation in the universe that can procreate itself. Why did God give us that ability? There's two reasons, I believe. What do you think? What do you think? Why did God give us that ability? We're made in His image and He can create. That's very good. He can create. What's another reason? 
God, Ellen White tells us that God made the earth soon after the fall of Lucifer in heaven. And God was using the earth to repopulate the universe or to repopulate heaven with a new and, and unique order of beings. You can read that in the story of redemption. But another reason why God gave marriage was to teach us... Let's back up. Did God know that we were going to sin? Sure He did. He knows everything. So if God knew we were going to sin, why did He create us? Is that a good question? If God knew we were going to sin, why not just create somebody else? Did God know that, that, um, that Satan would sin? Sure he did. So you say, well, why did he make them then? Okay, first point we got to clear up. Did God create sin? No way. No more than a mother gives birth to a drunkard. She gives birth to a baby. The baby chooses to become a drunkard. So why did God create us on this little sphere if he knew we were going to sin? Absolutely. God knew. God knew that if you give human, if you give any created being the right to choose, sooner or later, someone's going to make the wrong choice. It's just going to happen. It's a law of averages. So God knew that once it's over, it's over. It's like getting a splinter pulled out of your finger. Just get it over with. Yeah, it's going to hurt, but get it over with. So God knew that we were going to sin. And so the reason, one of the reasons God gave us marriage was to show us what the relationship between Jesus and us should be. It's a daily object lesson. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm sorry, Ephesians, yeah, it's chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul puts this so beautifully. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, and verse 21, let's start at verse 20. He says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Friends, what is one of the things that church has to do? Come on, talk to me, church. We've got to submit to one another. Can I always be right on a board meeting? No. If I'm always right, then you're a loser. And God doesn't make losers. God wants to teach, church is to teach us the importance of submitting. Did Jesus submit to the will of God? Absolutely. Listen, the whole universe is a universe of submission. And what Paul is saying here, he's laying the groundwork for what he's starting to do in verse 22. Notice, after he says that the church must submit itself one to another, Paul then says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. It's tough for a lot of ladies. And many with good reason. Their husbands are ogres. Their husbands do not understand the rest of the command in Ephesians chapter 5. But notice what Paul says. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. As unto... Do you hear what he's saying there? Paul is saying, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
And please, nobody try to convince me this was a societal thing Paul was addressing here. Paul says, a wife who is not submitted to her husband cannot be submitted to Jesus. That's what he's saying. Now, Paul is not saying here that a wife has to give her husband blind obedience. He's not saying that. If your husband is telling you to dishonor God or to violate the law of God or to do something wrong, that's not what Paul is saying. You submit to him in those things. He's saying, submit yourself unto your husband as unto the Lord. You see what he's saying? Satan is very wise. Satan is very wise. And the reason we are seeing today the gradual disintegration and breakdown in the church and the authority in the church is because of the breakdown of the chain of command in the home. Satan knows that it's just a matter of time once you get the home authority to begin to break down, that the church will begin to disintegrate as well. And when the church begins to disintegrate and the home is disintegrating, society is soon to follow. Now I want to ask you a question. Who did God leave in charge in the Garden of Eden? How do we know that? Let's turn back. Keep your fingers there in Ephesians chapter 5. And I want you to go back before sin entered the universe. In Genesis chapter 3, just after sin entered, Jesus, or God, Jesus came back to earth after Adam and Eve had sinned. And God called out to Adam in verse 8, in verse 9, And the Lord God called on to what? Notice the word here. He called on to who? Adam. He said, Adam, where are you? Now, I want to ask you a question, sister. What's your name, Susan? Susie. Who sinned first, Adam or Eve? Eve. The Bible's very clear in the New Testament. Paul says Eve sinned first. Why did God come to Adam first if Eve sinned first? Think about it. I want Susie to answer me. Why did God come to Adam first if Eve sinned first? Because God left Adam in charge. Now, David, you're a businessman. If I, if you have a, let's say you have a warehouse and it's a multi-million dollar business and you are leaving on a trip and you say, Dane, you're my manager and you are in charge of this warehouse and I want to see the numbers maintained while I'm gone. And while you're gone, me and the crew just whoop it up and we have a good time and we're getting paid for doing nothing. When you come back, who are you going to call first, me or the crew? Well, the buck stops. Yeah, the buck stops here. Why? Because when you left me the authority, you left me the responsibility. God left Adam in charge. Is that clear here? Now, were Adam and Eve equal in every way? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
equal in every way. Are Jesus and God equal in every way? There was never a time when Jesus was not, except for that brief moment when he was implanted in the womb of Eve. But before that time, there was never a time when Jesus was not. Jesus and God were equal in every way. And yet, what did Jesus say when he was upon the earth? My Father is what? Greater than I. You see, the church marriage is to be a microcosm of Jesus' relationship with his Father and his relationship with us. But notice, after Eve sinned, after Adam sinned, then God came to Eve in verse, um, where is it? Verse 12. No, I'm sorry. Uh, where are we? Oh, 16. Unto the woman God said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. It could be, we don't know, it could be that maybe Eve, when she was originally created, could only have a baby once every thousand years. Maybe once every 10,000 years. But when she sinned, God made it a monthly thing because it was an object lesson to her as much as circumcision would become an object lesson to Abraham later on. And unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. You see, now God puts another restriction on here. I shouldn't say a restriction. God puts another layer on here. Now, here's the point. Many modern Eves, as Ellen White calls them, many modern Eves will say, but that was just for that day. We're in a new liberated age now. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. God put down certain things after the fall. God said to Adam, Because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat, the ground is cursed, and sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground. Friends, we cannot remove one of the results of sin and let all the other ones stay. You see what I'm saying? God put a whole series of changes on mankind when sin entered the world. And one of them was that man was now in a new position of leadership. And Satan saw that and he said, if I can get the church to start obliterating that demarcation of the chain of command that God has laid down. The Bible in 1 Corinthians 11.3 says God is the head of Jesus. Jesus is the head of the man and the man is the head of the woman. Very, very cleanly God puts the chain of command on earth and on on earth in relation to the chain of command in heaven. And friends, the chain of command on earth can't change unless the chain of command in heaven changes. It always gets very quiet in the room about now. But Satan knew that if he could get the, 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 the chain of command to begin to break down, friends, Women's ordination is not the issue we're facing in the church. That is Satan's smokescreen. That is an emotional smokescreen that Satan has brought in. The real issue is chain of command. That's the real issue. Because Satan knows that once the chain of command breaks down, the church falls apart. Now let's go back to Ephesians. Paul says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Notice, you, Susie, are not to submit to me. It's to your own husband when you get married, if you're not now. He's your husband? Good choice. <clears throat> now, notice verse 23. Notice verse 23. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, if we want to change the chain of command on earth, if we want to say that the husband is no longer the head of the wife, we are by default saying that in our lives, Jesus is no longer head of the church. Am I being fair with Scripture? If I'm not, tell me, no, no, just sit down. Wives, the husband, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, Paul says, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Verse 25. Husbands, now here comes our job, guys. And believe me, our job that God gives us is a lot tougher than the wife's job is. Ladies, you have it very, very easy on this earth. We got to buy the tickets. We got to buy the gas. We got to buy the food. You know, when you're dating somebody, we got to buy everything. You know what, though? We love to do it. Because if you ladies only understood the power you have over us, you would shudder in your shoes. There is nothing... A man, a godly man, wants to do more than to protect his wife. There is nothing Jesus wants to do more than to protect his church. That's why God gave marriage. To teach me a lesson in how much Jesus loves me. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Ladies... Those of you who are married. Those of you who are not married. Would it be easy to love a man who loves you like Christ loves you? Listen to that. They always go, Amen! Yeah, boy! And this is the time you see the husband start going, mm. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. Friends, my whole job upon this earth, well, a majority of my job, is to make sure that my family is developing godly character. That's my job. That's why when I had my children at home, I was the priest in the home so far as God would help me to do it. And I led out in family worship. And my family knew that every night at 6.30 was family worship time. No matter how many pressing deadlines I had, no matter how much work I had, they knew that that was family worship time. That was the time that I, as a father, could see where my children were spiritually. I'll give you a... a, a uh, interesting thing. When we would sit down and have Bible study, we read through the whole Bible as a family. And when we started, I would look over at Anthony, my son, and I always chose him first because he has the birthright according to God. He w- I was to train him to take my shoes. I was to train him to be a spiritual leader. And I would say, Anthony, what do you think this passage means? And sometimes he say, well, Dad, I think it means... What I'm, why am I asking him those questions? I am trying to see where he is spiritually. I am trying to get him to start thinking about the Scriptures, to start analyzing the Scriptures, and to be his mentor in analyzing Scripture. And if he didn't know, I'd say, Gina, my daughter, what do you think, sweetheart? Well, Daddy, I think maybe it means this. Now, there were times that they didn't know. Anthony would go, search me. I don't know what it means, Dad. And I'd say, Gina, what do you think it means? 
Boy, Dad, I don't know what it means. Vic, my wife, what do you think it means? I don't know. You know what? I don't know what it meant either. <laughs> and I'd be sitting there the whole time saying, Lord Jesus, I need an answer. I don't know what this means. Lord, i got to have an answer. I don't know what this means. And the, at the last moment, the Lord would say, here's what it means, Dane. And I would extra- expound the Scriptures to my family as the Lord poured it into my brain. You see, that's the thrilling part of being a spiritual leader in a home. The Lord uses you, but I must love my wife even as Christ loved the church. Was anything, gentlemen, I'm talking to you now, was anything more important to Jesus than His church? Gentlemen, answer my question. Was anything more important to Jesus than His church? Was Jesus willing to leave his, listen to me now, was Jesus willing to give up his position to save his church? Was Jesus willing to give up his reputation to save the church? Was Jesus willing to give up his place in heaven to save the church? Then I can't put my job above my family. I can't put sports above my family. I can't put my buddies above my family. They are number one. This is why God gave us marriage. To teach me how much God loves the church. To teach me a lesson in salvation. To teach my wife a lesson in salvation. And friends, when we begin to obliterate the line of demarcation, when we begin to say that there's not really a clear biblical mandate of who's in charge in the home, the church will soon break down. We will have doctrinal error slipping into the church. Nine times out of ten in my ministry, in my wife's ministry, when we see doctrinal error in a home, nine times out of ten, the woman is in charge in that home. I can't explain it. It's just a spiritual principle. God has left men in charge. And God leaves the men in charge because for some reason that I can't explain, when the man is in charge, when the man is spiritual, when the man is leading the home after God's order, that home is protected from error. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that they should be holy and without blemish. It saddens me to see so many men sitting with their families at a meal and they never open their mouth except to chew their food. The children are talking to mom. The children are talking to each other. And dad is a passive blob of jello sitting there squirreling in his chair because he's too afraid to talk. I want to make a confession today. I don't know why my wife married me. I was a passive man. You know why I was passive? You know, I didn't make decisions. Because if you don't make a decision, you can never be wrong. How's that for a genius idea? My wife would say, where do you want to go to eat, Dane? I don't care, dear. You decide. You want to go here? Sure. Well, how about here? Yeah, that sounds better. How about here? Oh, that sounds even better. I'm surprised she didn't say, would you make up your mind? And praise the Lord. One day, the Lord opened my eyes to see, Dane, you are not showing my character to your family. 
Verse 28, so ought men to love their own wives, even as their own bodies. Ladies, would it be easy to love and be submitted to a man that you knew treated you like Christ loves the church? Absolutely. Now, for those of you who are considering a marriage partner, let me give you some biblical guidelines that are really good. We have turned things around to a great degree in our society, but let me just draw here the relationship pyramid that we taught to our own children. Okay? We're going to divide it into five parts. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, this is a two-part presentation. I'll give the rest of it tomorrow. Okay. If you want to build a good house, Psalm 127, verse 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. Many people are trying to build a a home on the world standards. It's a vain operation. What's the most important part of any home? The foundation. If you want to have a good marriage, you've got to start laying the foundation five years before you get married. You say, what? Five years? Let me show you why. When you get to the age, and for men, I have a friend who says men should get married before they're 30 because they're still little boys before then. I don't agree with that, but, you know. It's true. A man's frontal lobe does not develop as quickly as a, as a female's frontal lobe. Boys are, brain, are born brain damaged. <laughs> now, ladies say, see, honey, I told you. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. When that Y chromosome kicks in, the, 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 the brain of the baby begins to be bathed in certain chemicals that actually changes the way his brain grows. But a male's brain does weigh more than a female brain. So there, we have more gray matter. Yes, come on now, preach it. But a lady's corpus callosum, her central portion of the brain, is much more highly developed than a man's. She can transfer information very quickly from hemisphere to hemisphere. It used to bug me to no end. We'd go into a room and my my wife would say, watch out for that guy over there. There's something about him. I'd say, honey, don't judge. She said, no, there's something about him. And I'd say, why? I don't know. I just feel it. It's woman's intuition. That's the way God made them. They can't tell you why they feel that way, but they just feel that way. Now, four days later, I'd come to the same conclusion, but I could tell you why. I could lay, I could lay it down for this, 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 and this. That's the way God made us. Men operate on facts, figures, this, that. Women tend, I'm saying tend, it's not always this way, tend to operate more on sight, emotion, and that type of thing. That's not bad. That's the way God made you. That's why God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. You need to have a balance in the home. The woman's intuition, the woman's quick thinking with the man's take back and look at it fact by fact and verse by verse. So when you get ready to pick a mate, the very first thing you want to look at is spirituality. This is the very first thing you look at in a person. 
How do they relate spiritually to, to, to relationships? How do they relate spiritually to their environment? When they have a problem, do they go to God or do they try to solve it on their own? Are they deep Bible students? Are they getting out those old pioneer books by S.M. Haskell and W.A. Spicer and Uriah Smith and James White and Ellen White and, S- and, um, and uh, J.N. Andrews? You know J.N. Andrews memorized the whole Greek Testament by the time he was 30 years old? The Greek New Testament. Most of us can't remember one scripture song. How how does this person you're interested in relate spiritually? What is his or her spiritual makeup? Do they enjoy talking about spiritual things? Do they enjoy going to church? Do they enjoy going to these things? Are they spiritual in their relationship with other people? How do they relate to their parents? All those things come into play in this bottom level. Then, once they've passed the spirituality test, and this is done not in a one-on-one relationship, but you are standing on the outside looking into their sphere of influence. You're looking in at that person, how they operate. You're, on, you're a, a, an innocent bystander. Once you look at the spirituality test, the next thing you look at is social skills. How do they relate, not now in a spiritual situation, but how do they relate in a social setting? Can they re- One of the things my wife said impressed her so much about me, and it's probably the only thing that impressed her about me back in those days, is we were down in San Diego, and two elderly ladies were trying to get a picture of a, of a, of a scene, and they wanted themselves to be in the picture. And they came up to me and said, Sir, would you take our picture? Well, my mom and dad always raised us, that if we looked at an old person wrong, we got spanked. I mean, they gave us the firm hand of fellowship in the right place where all the padding is, and we would not do it again. And in those days, when a woman walked in the room, we stood up. We stood up. And we said, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, or we got, our, we got a taste of Tide. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Believe me, Tide makes it squeaky clean. My tongue felt it many times. So my wife noticed how I took, I lined up these ladies and I got them all set up just right and I took their picture and she said, Dane, you never even made fun of them. No, it was ingrained in me. You don't make fun of old people. She was so impressed with that. You see, she left out everything else, but she said, boy, he's, he's a pretty nice guy. <laughs> she didn't know everything else about me. But you look in a social setting. How do they relate? How can they interrelate with other people? Are they kind to their parents? Ladies, if you want to give yourself a life of hell, marry a man who treats his his mother wrong. The way a man treats his mother is many times the way he'll treat you. And you might say, oh, I'll change him. He's so cute. You're not going to change him. You're not going to change him. Uh Uh-uh. Just remember, you can't change anybody. Only Jesus can. And if they're not open to Jesus leading, I don't care what you think you can do on this level, they ain't going to change. How do they relate in a social situation? Are they always looking for attention for themselves? Are they the life of the party? Do they want everybody laughing at them and looking at them and revolving around them? If that's the case, prance on down the road. There's plenty of fish in the sea. So the social situation come next. Then after you've looked at that social situation, then you look at the psychological situation. In the psychological situation, you're starting to look at what makes this person tick. What is their paradigm? 
You start looking at what faults are there. Now, you're, you're getting pretty serious by this point in time. You're, you're pretty sure after you see this and this that this person may be the one that you want. And what you're analyzing in this situation is you're making, you're making a battle assessment. All right? You're making a battle assessment. In other words, you're lining up all the good qualities and you're looking at the bad. Hey, does everybody have bad qualities? Do they? Absolutely. Nobody's perfect. And you know, marriage is such a funny thing. You will find yourself, <laughs> you will find yourself getting into squabbles because he doesn't put his toothpaste back in the thing right. <laughs> well, my father never did. Well, I'm not your father. You know, it's amazing what you can get in fights with in marriage. Isn't it? Married people? It's amazing what you can fight about. My father never put the dog paper down like that. Why are you putting it down that way? Because the dog doesn't care the paper's put down. He's going to use it anyway. But my dad, people will get in fights about stuff like that. But what you're looking at here is, are the bad features that this person have something that God can change? Is this something I can live with while God is making the change? You see what I'm saying? This is what you're doing at the psychological level. You're, you're making a, a, an assessment of character. You're looking at this person through God's eyes and asking God to show you, can I live with the bad points while they're trying, while, while you are changing their character? So, once you attain, once you think, well, yeah, that's probably good enough, then you come to the next level, which is emotional. This is where you start getting a little bit more personal. You start moving in a little bit more with this person. You spend more time with this person in a courting relationship. By the way, dating is a non-biblical term. Dating is acting married before the fact. Jerry said, dating is acting married before the fact. Courtship is preparing for marriage before the act. There's a big difference in the two. So here at this point in time, and all through this line, you are counseling with godly people. If you have godly parents, don't leave them out of the equation. My daughter had several boys that were very interested in her, and as we got to know the families, as we got to see what made these families tick and what made the boys tick, they were fine Seventh-day Adventist people. But my wife and I just saw things that we knew wouldn't click that there were things that just wouldn't jive. And there was one young man that Gina was sure she was going to get married to. And I had to go into her. And this is where you got to develop that relationship with that girl while she's still little. You can't start developing a relationship with your daughter when she's 15 years old. Don't work. And I said, sweetheart, you know, Mom and I have really been praying about this. And this young man is a fine young man. We're not judging his character. But there's certain things about the family and about him that just aren't the best for you. Sweetie, I can't make your decision for you. I am not making the decision for my child. She's got to make her own choice, but I can give her counsel. And I said, honey, I don't think he's the one for you. And she told me later, she said, Daddy, I was so mad at you. I was so upset. But the more I prayed about it, the more the Lord showed me you were right. And she decided not to marry that boy. And now she is so happy. She is so happy that she listened to God's voice. So you, you seek counsel all along the way. But at the emotional level, you're seeing, can this person satisfy my needs? Can this person, can I satisfy their needs?
What are the, you start having deep talks. You start sharing your, your life view. You start, you start interchanging more about what you want to do in life and where you want to go and how you see God interacting. And all those things start in on, the, on this emotional level. Then, before the next level happens, once you see that God is leading all along this way, once you have been getting godly counsel all along this way, then marriage takes place. And then the last part on the totem pole is physical. Now, <clears throat> by physical I mean sexuality. There may be some physical contact in this area here, emotional, as far as hand-holding or something like that. My daughter didn't. My daughter didn't hold her husband's hand until the day she got married. No, I'm sorry. She didn't kiss until the day she got married. She held his hand when they got engaged. And believe me, that's very wise to do. Because hormones are strong things. Now, what has the society done? Society has taken the pyramid and turned it upside down. We have what first? We have physical first. And then, oh, he just makes me feel so good. <laughs> Emotional. And then the second, you know, and we put the spirituality... Lord, change my husband. Lord says, no, that came first. You see, what would you rather be standing on? The tip up here or the base up here? Many people are running back and forth in their marriage trying to keep the balance. They're, they're over here and then they're over here and then they're, and they're, you know, they're, they're going like this all the time. Why? Because they're trying to balance on a physical attraction. But the people who build the home in the right way with a firm foundation, then building the walls, then building this, then building this, they have a stable relationship. Now I want to show you something else about this. As we look at this, if you look at how this goes in, a man, in the man's paradigm, what comes first? Me. What can you do for me? But in God's paradigm, who comes first? God comes first. God, is this the one you've chosen for me? And then the very next level, we have others directed. In other words, you're looking at how this person relates to others. Believe me, ladies, men can be pretty sneaky creatures. When they want something, they can look so good for just so long. Oh, certainly. You're the only thing that matters in my life. You are so beautiful. And the girl starts going, ooh, he really loves me. Ooh, he's my Prince Charming. No, ladies, he's got ulterior motives. Others related. And then the next one is God and others related. And then you come up here, and this is us directed. In other words, how can you and me click? And the very last level is me. That's the way God wants it to be. Have you ever sang the song, Jesus and others, then you? What a wonderful way to spell joy. Jesus, others, you. That's the whole paradigm right here. That's the way that God wants it to be. That's the way that God has designed it to be. And you know, it's beautiful. As you look at this whole process, 
This is exactly what Paul is saying is a symbology of how Christ wants to relate to his church. Jesus wants us to establish a spiritual relationship with him, to have a deep abiding relationship. And you know, who was it this morning? Peter Gregory talked about that, 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 um, <clears throat> that sacrifice that was split right down the middle. And Jesus was talking there about blessing Abraham's seed. Friends, that not only was a promise of a covenant, God was using a sexual connotation to show the intimacy that a man and woman have reflects the intimacy we should have with Jesus Christ. You know, I can share with my wife in a way that nobody else can. I can get closer to my wife than anybody else. And I should have the same eagerness and the same excitement and the same thrill in my relationship with Jesus that I do in the relationship with my wife. That's why God gave marriage. One of the reasons was to show us the joy, the anticipation, the excitement we should feel. I'll tell you what, friends. When I travel, I miss my wife so much. And when I come home, I get so excited to walk through that door and see her smiling face and feel her arms around me and know that she's been faithful to me and I've been faithful to her while we've been absent one from another. Friends, that's a spiritual lesson. No matter how far we feel from Jesus, we are commanded to stay spiritually chaste and not commit adultery spiritually. We are commanded because we have made a choice to follow Jesus. Because we have made a covenant relationship with Him. And the marriage relationship teaches me that my relationship with Jesus is just as sacred, just as endearing, just as exciting, just as fulfilling, and just as necessary as my physical and my spiritual relationship with my, with my precious wife. That's why God gave it. That's why it behooves us to be so careful the mate that we choose. Because we are to stand in our marriages as a living epistle to the church of what God wants to do for His blessed church. And friends, as we see our church crumbling, it's a sign in my mind that our homes have crumbled already. And if we want to see God's church grow back to the place where it should be, if we want to see all these straw dogs of Satan shot down, if we want to see God's truth elevated again, men, it's time for us to come back to our leadership positions in our homes. It's time for us men who are single to become spiritual leaders in our communities, to begin practicing what it means to be a spiritual leader in a home, to become diligent students of the Word. You know, we become very surface students of the Word. We don't really dig deeply. I appreciated Brother Peter's Bible study this morning. What a treasure. What a feast. That's Bible study. I challenge you today. Follow the words of the prophet. She says that when error begins to come into the church, get out the old books. Get out the pioneer books. Get out S.N. Haskell. Get out W.A. Spicer. Get out Loughborough and Jones. Not Jones so much. He apostatized later on. But some of his early writings were good. Get J- Jan Andrews wrote a little book called The 2300 Days in the Sanctuary. Have you ever read it? It's 92 pages long. I found it in my library and said, this should be a good Sabbath afternoon reading. took me two and a half months to read that crazy little book. It took me so long because his... His, his, his thoughts were so deep and his ability to link text with text was so incredible. I thought, man, I am not as smart as I thought I was. 
But if I'm going to be a spiritual leader in my home, if I'm going to be the guardian of my home as Christ is guardian of the church, I had better know what I believe. I had better know what my pioneers taught. I had better understand this to explain it to my children. I had better be a gentle leader who leads by example and not by dictate. You know what I'm talking about? You obey me because I'm bigger than you are. Okay, wait till I'm bigger than you, Pops. You'll see who's in charge. (laughs) We have much to learn, amen? But I encourage you, I, I, I beg you to not make some of the mistakes that I made. When you follow this paradigm, you will get one thing in return. Hurt, scarring, and pain. When you follow this paradigm, you will get one thing in return, God's blessing. It works every time. There is no variable. If you follow God's plan, He will bless at the last minute sometimes, David. We're going to cover this more tomorrow. We're going to look at some beautiful examples in the Scriptures. I'm going to give you 11 points, ladies, to look at in a man. I'm going to give you men 11 points to look at in a woman. Do you want to hear that? You really want to hear that? Let's have prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the blessing of marriage. Thank you for what is to teach us of the precious love you have for your church. And we're your church, we're your people. Lord, forgive us for allowing Satan to steal the march on us. As we see these straw dog issues surfacing in the church, these emotionally charged issues, we should just step back and take a look at the Bible because it's very plain and very clear. Lord Jesus, we love our church and we want to see it, a church that's without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. We want to see it a victorious church. But, Lord, before that can happen, we've got to be victorious in our own homes. We've got to be victorious in our own decisions. And we thank you today that you have given the promise that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, some of these young people today have tried the inverted pyramid style and they've been hurt. They've been used. They've been abused. Heal those wounds, Lord. Help them to turn this paradigm right side up. And put their feelings aside, put their emotions aside, and start building on a spiritual foundation. Lord, thank you for this counsel that we have. Bless us as we go through the rest of the Sabbath day. And Lord, I pray for these young people today that every single one will be found in a godly marriage should time last. I pray for each marriage here. Some may be rocky, some may be thorny. Some may be hard, about to break. Thank you today, Lord, that you are the God of lost causes. That only you can unscramble eggs. Lord, take these marriages, many are hurting, and heal them. As they take these principles and apply them, Lord, help the men to be spiritual leaders. Help the wives to be submitted to their husbands and give them time to grow. Please, Jesus. Set us back on our right feet, we pray.
Guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen.